actually mean it. I didn't actually mean it. <laughs> well, good evening, everyone. It's awesome to see you, I assure you. It's great to see you. I looked back and my iPad wasn't on my seat and then Steve was just there and he's just like, what are you looking for, mate? And I'm like, I'm, like, I'm looking for my iPad. <laughs> oh, it's good to be with everyone here tonight. So before we get into the Sermon on, on the Mount, Sermon on the Mount, we're going to do some notices. So I'm not sure what the first one is. Yeah, so this time, next week, we get the awesome honour of interviewing John Dixon. Um, he's a... Awesome scholar. He's a kind of a, a religious historian, particularly in Christian history. Um, so, and he's written a book called Bullies and Saints, which kind of takes this honest look at church history. He doesn't go through all of it in the book. That would take far too long, but a decent chunk of it. And he looks at some of the, the bad that's been done in the name of Jesus and some of the awesome stuff that's been done in the name of Jesus. Uh, but predominantly why I want to talk to him is is to kind of go, how do we have conversation about this with people? How do we have honest conversation about these different things that have been done? Because I don't know about you guys, but when I'm talking to some of my um, non-Christian friends, um, they, they have these questions. And for some people, some of the stuff that's happened in church history is very quite real, um, even in recent history. So how do we have a conversation around that? So, And I couldn't think of anyone better to be able to do that with than him. He's, um, he's a really, really cool guy. He's got his own podcast as well called Undeceptions. Um, really, I know this sounds really funny, but you'll find this next week, but he's a nice person to listen to. He's got a nice voice. So there you go. Um, so make sure you come along to that. It'll be in uh, person or online. I always encourage people to come on in person. It's much better to be with people around you, but if you can't make it, uh, come along to that. <coughs> and then we've got, ah, yes, this is going to be fun. I signed up, Jono, don't worry. He was just like, he's on my case. Are you coming four-wheel driving? Um, so, man, if you're wanting to have a fun day out, um, come along to that. Please sign up. Um, there is a, a clipboard at, in the information desk at the, um, in the foyer there, or you can just email uh, the church and um, uh, we'll let the guys know uh, just to make sure that we have enough seats. So, um, if you can do that today, that would be awesome. And then um, the week after next, so on the 31st, two weeks from now, now we've got Compassion Sunday. So it is at the uh, PM service as well. So we've got a guy, I forget how to pronounce Michael. Yeah, his name's Michael. Um, and he's from Compassion. And so the church is going to start um, a, a sponsorship, I mean, sorry, like a partnership with um, Compassion in particular and um, being able to go to places like Togo because you know, we know a lot uh, about our senior pastor, Andrew. He's done, and him and his family did so much awesome work in, um, that Jesus did through them um, in Togo and then we're going to be looking at Indonesia as well and, and we're actually going to be having the chance that we can actually sponsor some children in those particular areas which is going to be really awesome. So it provides for food, education, uh, housing, all that kind of really, really important stuff. So he's going to be coming along. We're doing something that week at Youth um, which is kind of like a, a, a game to um, uh, get us in the shoes of uh, what it would be like to kind of be in the third world in a lot of ways without not much and you've got to make certain really hard decisions and stuff. So it's going to be really fun. Um, so make sure you come along to that at the AM or the PM service. It's going to be, going to be awesome. Um, so before I get into the sermon, um, I've done this a few times now, but I thought it'd be really good for us to continue to do it. Uh, we live in a world where there's no shortage of bad things happening, but there's a lot of things we can be really thankful for. So I want you to think of at least one 
highlight, big awesome thing uh, or just a small thing that you're really, really thankful for and just discuss it with the person near you um, and then I'll come back. Awesome. Alrighty, it's good to have something to be thankful for and um, encourage you guys uh, to continue having these conversations after church, we're going to have some time to hang out, have a little bit of food. Um, so last week we started our, um, our series in the Sermon on the Mount which is in Matthew chapter 5 to 7. Um, so if you want to grab your Bibles that would be awesome, I think it's better for you guys to see it in your hands, um, whether on your device or a physical Bible. I will have it up here just in case you guys don't have any. Um, but tonight we're going to be going through the Beatitudes, um, which, is going to be, which is the first part of the sermon. So last week was a bit of an introduction um, to the Sermon on the Mount. So, and just a little bit of a recap. Um, what I, one of the main kind of things I was talking about is there's kind of two temptations that we can have when it comes to the Sermon on the Mount. Um, one of them being that we can see it as a bit of just a rule book um, where it's kind of just like do this, don't do that. Do this but don't do that. Um, and what we saw is that yes, it does do that but it's not its main purpose. It's not the only thing that it does. And one of the examples of this was um, of someone who's just, just seeing what God's saying as just do's and don'ts as a moral code is that you can be tempted to kind of go, okay, well, if I just do this and I just do that and if I just do this and I just don't do that, then I'll be sweet with God. And it's kind of like a works-based righteousness where I can earn my salvation. And we saw that in, um, when Jesus, uh, in the first century, when, 
Um, he talks to the, the Pharisees, these religious leaders, and they're kind of characterized a little bit by this kind of behavior where they, um, they are just phenomenal at keeping the Old Testament law, like the law of Moses in particular, and all the other things that they kind of did to help them keep that. Um, but they kind of elevated it a little bit too far. They, they put it almost a little higher than it would be actually just worshipping and praising God as the one God. Um, and then I, what I say, that's a temptation. We can just look at it as a rule book and kind of a way of, okay, if I can do this, I'm all sweet with God. Um, the second temptation <coughs> is that we cannot take it serious enough um, because often when uh, someone is just trying to follow kind of religious rules without relationship with God or that being kind of the main focus, then they can become a little bit judgy at times, you know what I mean? And they can be just like the Pharisees. You can be like, look at me, I can do this, I can tithe, I can fast, I can pray in front of everyone to see and all this kind of thing. So, And the, the temptation is to see that like, oh man, these people aren't that loving. They're not really doing what Jesus said to love here. So I'm going to go to the opposite end of the spectrum and so and the temptation is to kind of go, well, if that's what following these words Jesus does, then I I don't really I don't think I should take him quite as seriously as the other the other people. So there's a temptation to either take him too seriously or not seriously enough in a way. And what I was saying is that we need to we need we need to to love people, we need to um we need to um, we do really, really need to take them seriously, but we do not want to elevate them above God. They're, they're not the goal in and of themselves. This sermon and the do's and don'ts are not the goal in and of themselves, but Jesus is. God is the goal. And what I was saying is that we see that he's, he's coming to preach the gospel of the kingdom. He's come to bring good news. He's the king and he is the good news that he's come um, to reconcile us with the Father, with God. And that's the good news and that's the main focus of this sermon. Hopefully that makes sense. But what you'll see in the structure of the Beatitudes is um, and when you look at it in the Greek, and you can see it in English for the most part, is that the first and the last one are in the present tense and then all the other ones are in the future tense. So, And I'll read it. So the first and the last one are in like the future tense, I mean the <laughs> present tense, and all the rest of them are in a future tense. So read with me. So it's uh, chapter 5, verse 1. And I'll, I'll point it out as we go. So it says... Seeing, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened up his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So that's present tense. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Um, that's like a future tense type of feel there. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Present tense again. Kingdom of heaven, sorry. 
And then he kind of expands upon this last one. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so you kind of you see it when you're reading it. The first and the last one are kind of these blessings that we have now. And um, the ones in the middle, I would argue there's a present kind of reality to them, but there's a big focus on them being a future reality in their fullness. Does that make sense? And we'll go through. I was just talking to Hayden before the service and we are kind of like, how are you going about doing the Beatitudes in one sermon? And, I, and I'm like, yeah, look, um, it is it's quite a lofty thing to kind of go through each and every one of them and think that I can do it all in one sermon. And I probably won't get through them all. Um, so it's a little bit of an overview. That, like you could literally do a full series in this just going one verse at a time. There, there's so much in this. But I'm going to just kind of go do a little bit of a flyby and see how far we go before I run out of time. Um, but to the person who has kind of never read this or haven't really taken a deep dive into the Beatitudes, it can be, they can be a little bit confusing. Um, they can be like, blessed are the poor in spirit. It kind of seems a little upside down. Some of these blessings, you're kind of like, I wouldn't expect someone to be blessed for that. So people that are mourning, they're blessed? Like, what, what is going on there? It can be a little bit kind of counterintuitive in some way. Um, so I want to kind of, at the very least, look at that. Um, um, and what you'll see is this kind of theme again. We've got to remember that Jesus has come, he's, going, he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He's bringing this good news message and then the first thing that Matthew shows that he preaches is this sermon. So he's bringing good news. He's bringing the good news of himself effectively. Um, And that's the point. We need to look to Jesus. We can't look at these Beatitudes as I must be more meek. I must be more um, poor in spirit. I must be doing this. No, we need to look to Jesus. And what you'll find is, is as we look to Jesus and we put him number one, is that these things start to actually make a lot of sense and you become poor in spirit, you become more meek and we'll go into that in a sec. So that's what you should see. So let's do the first one. So verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So those who are poor in spirit, have the kingdom. That's a present tense reality. They have it. Um, they obviously um, have it into the future. It isn't just like, a, okay, I have it for this little bit of time and now it's gone. No, it, we have it and we have it into the, into the future uh, as well. And what he's talking about in being poor in spirit is actually less to do with being literally and physically poor. Does that make sense? It's less to do with how many kind of like possessions that I have and what I have on this earth, which is hence why it's a spiritual poorness. It's not so much to do with our, our physical poorness. And effectively, <coughs> because cause you, without God, we are spiritually poor. And that's one of the main things that it's getting at here. And I'll, I'll tease that out a bit. Without God, we are spiritually poor and we're actually meant to be quite dependent on Him for spiritual riches, you could look at it that way. We're quite spiritually poor without God and we need to be dependent on Him for spiritual riches. Because you think, you think of someone who is actually poor, particularly if you get the image of someone who's 
are homeless. I was on holiday not too long ago in, in Melbourne and I saw quite a number of homeless people. And, and, you, and it, it's tragic to see, it breaks your heart. But if you think about someone who, who's lost everything in that way, that they don't have a home, they're, quite, they're, quite, they're poor in a way and they, they are dependent they're dependent on people walking by to give them money. They're dependent on people for housing, for all these different things if they're not able to get out of it themselves. They're quite dependent. And that's kind of a similar type of vibe that we have for spiritual, kind of this spiritually poorness that we get. We don't have much without God. We don't have much and we kind of need this dependence on him. We are and should be dependent on him for this spiritual richness. So therefore, poor in spirit refers to living a life in humility. And I'll explain this. It refers to a life of humility. It's, it's a realisation that I am depraved. I like my, of, it's a realise of my sinfulness. It's a realisation of my kind of utter dependence on God that without Him, I, I am just nowhere near good enough. That I am poor in spirit. That I need Him. That I can't do this all with, with, by myself. I can't just follow these to-do lists and to do that and then gain God's approval, but I need Him. I need something way, way, way more because I'm so poor in spirit. Does that make sense? That kind of idea. It's going, gosh, I truly am not able to do this myself. I am not able to do this myself. I am poor. I am needy. I'm spiritually poor and I need God. And the promise here, the promise here is that those who realise their spiritual poverty, they they come in humility and they realise this. They realise that they don't have it all together. The promise is that they will have the kingdom of God. They will have the kingdom of heaven. And in short, this could be, we could go forever on these kinds of things, but in short, what this means is, again, that we actually, we at the very, very least is that we get Jesus. We get God. We get relationship with Him. We get forgiveness of sins and we get an eternity with Him. This is what happens when we kind of go, whew. And there's been a point, and there should be continual points, I believe, in, in the Christian's life where we go, far out. Man, I, I, I suck. Like, I'm not doing well. Like, you know what I mean? I keep messing up and I need Jesus. And the promise is that we do get Him. We do get the kingdom of God here, right now. And we obviously get that in the future, but this is a present reality. We get this. It's a humility to see that we need Jesus, poor in spirit. So, a little application there, a little application. We should never be so proud to think that we can do what only Jesus can do. We should never be too proud to think that we can do only what Jesus can do. Without him we are but a beggar on the street of our spiritual life who is so needy, who so needs God to help us. There's nothing we could do to get these spiritual riches all by ourselves. So therefore we need to set aside our pride, we need to set aside ourselves and kind of go, God, I, I need you. Come in humility, come in surrender and we need you. So that's blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. So 
Let's go in verse 4. Again, I'm not going to get through all of this, don't worry. I'm like, oh my gosh, he's going to be here all night. Uh, (laughs) Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Does this mean that I should put myself in a situation where I experience considerable loss and then I'm mourning because I'm going to get blessed, yeah? Is that, all right, we're done. Okay, have a good night. No, that's, (laughs) no, that's not what that means. Does this mean that those who are experiencing a lot of mourning at the moment, that they're somehow more blessed than me or you? No. That's not really what it's talking about. And that's kind of the upside down thinking of this um, kind of sermon. It's, it's, it's not quite, it doesn't always make sense straight away. But no, these are, these are not, this is not what this passage means. In a nutshell, this is referring to kind of two things. But it's, this, it's referring to the mourning we experience by us when we realise how sinful we are. And it's very similar to the last passage. When we realise how poor in spirit we are when we realize the sin that we have and that we've done and kind of our, our tendency to 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 look towards um, not following God then we um, can mourn we can mourn but it and I'll, I'll go into this in a sec but the second thing is that we can it can also refer to this mourning of the sin and the rebellion and the kind of carnage that that's created in our world around us so it applies to kind of yourself and the way of going, man, oh, man, I can't believe I did that. Or, man, I cannot believe these tendencies. I cannot believe my sinful heart at times. And then it's, it's, a, it's a mourning of the world around us of going, God, please help this. This is, this is causing so much pain in people's lives and this is causing so much pain in our world. And I'll unpack that really quick. So the first one I'm referring to, which is more for ourselves, it's it's similar but doesn't quite hit the mark. It's similar to doing something wrong, and then when you feel genuinely bad about it, you kind of you feel guilty, but it's a little bit like mourning that you actually did that. Particularly if it's hurt someone, um, someone that you love, or it's affected someone else, you, you mourn why you even ever did that. Like how could I have ever done that? But it's a little, a little bit more than that. It's a little bit more than that because it, it transfers from just I did this to someone else or even to myself and I'm mourning that to transferring to how could I have done that to this amazing God who's shown me grace? How could I have done that to a, a, a God who actually loves me and is so patient? How could I have done that and, and gone against him so much? And there's that mourning that kind of can come from that. And that's a healthy morning. It's a healthy thing to actually kind of go, hey, that is bad. I, I need to go to God for this because it should, like the poor in spirit, it should kind of help us to go into humility rather than pride and kind of go, I need you, Jesus. I need you. Help me and do that. And then the second, we mourn what's happening around us. I don't know about you guys, but I feel heartache all the time. Not all the time, but every single day at what's happening in our world. There's so much to be mourning for. There's wars. There's loss of lives. Um, yeah, in wars, there's people that die too early. There's, there's utter selfishness and greed. There's hunger in our world. There's all these different kinds of things. Well, I think we all know one thing that can kind of come to our mind, that we go, man, that really shouldn't happen. That is really not how it's meant to be. 
Whether you're a Christian or not, most people can tell something of this. Where they go, no, it wasn't meant to be this way. And I mourn for it. My heart aches when you see it happening around us, in my friends, in um, when when certain stuff happens in, within the church as well. You mourn it. You're like, oh, it's hard. It hits you. We mourn the effects of sin in our own life and in the life of those around us in our world. But the promise here is that we will be comforted. The promise here is that when we mourn, we will be comforted. We're not just stuck there, um, just mourning. We will be comforted. And this passage, like I say, it's actually particularly geared toward uh, a future in the sense that when sin is actually just taken away, when, um, when there's a new heaven and a new earth and we're there with, with God in the end, there is a sense where we will ultimately feel the best comfort we could ever have. Uh, and that's what I, what I see this passage really talking to, uh, talking about because that's something we need to keep in our minds that we're like, this actually, this isn't how it should be but it won't always be like this. Because if you don't have that, it can be, you can just get so weighed down in the current. It won't always be like that and it's a future, future hope. But at the same time, I do know that God, he comforts us now. He's here with us. We've got the Holy Spirit is helping us. He can comfort us in this time. He can help to guide us in this time. He can lead us to repentance as well and and to humility to kind of go, God, how can I help? How can I be better in this? And how can I, for myself, how can I um, not need to mourn my own sinful nature and help me and help? how can I help others? Cool. So that's the second one. (laughs) Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Verse 5. Now, meekness is not a word I hear very often. Um, I, I don't really hear that all too often. So what kind of is meekness? And the Greek word, when I, when I look it up in, in the Greek dictionary, um, it literally means humility and gentleness. Humility and gentleness. So a theme that's kind of already come up, this, this theme of humility. Humility, and I find it a little hard to describe. I'm not the most gifted with words. I'm okay. I do my best. But you could look at it as the opposite of pride. Humility is the opposite of pride. And effectively, pride is actually thinking too much of yourself and your own ability. It's, too, it's having too high a view of, of yourself and your own ability. And I'd argue that the root of sin is actually pride at the end of the day. You think about it. You think of Adam and Eve in the garden. They wanted to be like God, knowing good and evil. They wanted to set their own boundaries. They, they thought that they could do it by themselves. They had too high a view of themselves and then they sinned. They went, oh, I don't need God. I can work out the boundaries. I can work out good and bad. I can, I can, I can do my own thing. I don't need to know the will of, of God. And that's pride. So humility is, is like the opposite of this. It's the opposite. Pride is too high a view of yourself and a focus primarily on yourself. Too high a view of yourself and primarily on yourself. So humility is the opposite. It's having a healthy view of yourself. It's not like 
underestimating yourself. I'm not saying go to the other extreme where you, you think you're not good at anything or like that you're horrible, that God just made you this really bad human being. Like, it's not that. It's just a healthy view of yourself and your own ability. There is a lot that we can do, but there's a lot we can't do. <laughs> there is a lot we cannot do. And to think that we can actually do it all is too high a view of ourselves. It's pride. So those who are meek inherit the earth. They inherit the earth. So the meek is someone who realises that they need, once again, they need God. They know that they can't do all of this by themselves. They're, dri- they're driven to humility. They're driven to Jesus and to go, hey God, I, I need your help and I surrender. I don't want to do this life by myself. I don't want to do it for my own will, but I want to do it for your will. So those who are meek then, who have this humility and this gentleness, inherit eternity with God. They inherit the eternity with God. They get the promised land. So they, it says, for they shall inherit the earth. And this is kind of remnants of, the, if you think of the Old Testament, and one of the main things that was promised to Abraham and, and the people of uh, the nation of Israel was that they would get a promised land. Yeah? They would inherit the earth in a sense. They'd inherit this land that's their own, that they could dwell with God, be blessed by God and be a blessing to other nations. Um, and in a sense, this is kind of a little bit of what this is getting at, that we kind of will have our own place. We'll inherit the earth. And it, again, this is future, future-driven in a way, that we will be there in this new heaven and new earth. We will be in a place where, this is, where sin is no more and we'll be, we'll be with Jesus there. We'll inherit the earth, the land. So how do we become meek? We actually need to walk by the Spirit. We need to not walk by our own will, but we need to walk with Jesus. Again, keeping him number one, not going, okay, I need to be really meek, I need to be humble, and just trying really, really hard. No, it's, it's, it's going to Jesus in humility. Does that make sense? Maybe I've got a couple more in here. <laughs> Blessed are those, verse 6, stay with me. I don't encourage you if you're like, man, this is a lot, take notes. Um, because these are really, really cool things um, to, to get under our belt and to really realise what Jesus is saying here. This is one of the most important sermons, if, if that's even a thing, in my mind that Jesus actually preaches. It, it is huge. It's awesome. So, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And again, this is kind of twofold. Twofold. There's, there's kind of two ways you can look at this. First, through Jesus dying on the cross, we are made, we, we kind of have peace with him, yeah? We are kind of not in peace with him beforehand. And through Jesus dying on the cross and paying for our sins and us being having the opportunity to even follow Jesus in the first place and be made right with him is that we have peace with him in that sense. That's one. We have peace with God. But then number two, we are satisfied in real time because as we continue to seek God, sorry, the first one with peace with Jesus, it's kind of like a positional peace. It's a positional righteousness that we have. 
we have a positional righteousness with him where we're right standing with him um, and so when he looks at us even even as we continue to kind of stumble and go forward and then come back to Jesus he still when we go face to face with him he, he sees the blood of Jesus he sees Jesus' sacrifice and kind of goes you're mine you're righteous you're righteous in the eyes of God but secondly what I'm getting at is that there's a, a present reality to this there's a present reality where, like I say, we do, we're not, it's not like I'm perfect now. It's not like any of us are perfect right now. And we need to become more like the reality that we have. The reality is, is that we are righteous in the eyes of God, but in, in real time, we, we don't really look like it all the time. Yeah, We've kind of got to take steps to become more righteous. And, and the bio, I mean, our theologians would talk about this as sanctification. We want to follow the Spirit and we want to become more like Jesus. We want to become and do the things that he did and he taught and what the Bible shows us. And that's one of our main goals. And you get this idea of, it says in the passage, it says hunger and thirst. We're hungering and thirsting after righteousness. And this is one of the very basic things that we do as humans, yeah? Um, I'm quite thirsty right now. Like, I only drank like half an hour ago. Like, it's, it's a constant thing that I need to do and you and I need to do. Um, and I get hungry. I'm already hungry. I'm thinking about after church. No, I'm joking. No. <laughs> We've all been there in the middle of church. We're like, I'm hungry. No. But it doesn't, it doesn't satisfy for super long, does it? You, get, you keep needing to hunger and thirst. It just keeps happening. You're not just like, it's not a one thing and then you're like, sweet, I don't need to drink water anymore. I just had my leader <laughs> and then I'm, I'm good now. And in a, in a similar way, this is what it's kind of getting at, is that, yes, in real time, we should be hungering and thirsting after righteousness. We want to do what Jesus is saying. We, wanna, we want to be right standing with him. We want our lives to reflect the righteousness that we've gained. And we want to show that with the world but that will take time and sometimes we'll get to a point where we're like, wow, God, you did something in my life and that was amazing and I could see the transformation and you're kind of like, cool, I have my glass of water. And then a little bit after, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I've still, I still got a lot, still got a long way to go and then you need some more water. So we need to continually, hopefully that kind of makes sense, but we need to kind of continually hunger and thirst just like we would for food and water for being righteous under God. And again, the point here isn't to just try to be a morally good person, but it's actually to follow Jesus. It's actually Him. He's the point and we just kind of start as we're looking to Him and we're following Him, not just what He says, we end up becoming people that are more like Him as we hunger and thirst to be more like Him. And in that sense, we will be satisfied. We're satisfied uh, in eternity, but we're satisfied here and now. But it's, it's, a, it's a continual growth. So, yeah, maybe we'll go one more. Blessed are the merciful is quite an easy one. Um, we, in a nutshell, this is, um, we know the mercy, we've been uh, given mercy from God, yeah. Well, he's shown us incredible mercy when we have not at all deserved it for our sins. He's shown us mercy by dying for us on the cross when it should have been 
us. And in a sense, he, he wants us to show this kind of same mercy. He wants us to show this same kind of mercy to other people. Um, because they, they, they're very interlocked. They're very interlocked. It's kind of like if you've been shown a lot of mercy, there's a parable on it. A guy basically gets forgiven a huge debt and then, and then that same guy who got forgiven, he goes off to someone else to try and get like some, some small tiny little amount of, of money from someone who owes him money and then he doesn't forgive him. He doesn't show him mercy at all. He like beats him up or sends him to the jail or something like that. And, and that's kind of the same thing. It just doesn't work. It doesn't show our Creator. It doesn't show Jesus' mercy on our life. And we obviously don't understand it very well when we can't be merciful to others. When we know mercy, we should be merciful. We receive mercy in a way and we are blessed as we are merciful. It's kind of a two-way street in a way. I'm not saying it's always easy to be merciful. It's very, very hard because often there's been a lot of wrong done and there's different ways to kind of navigate that. But it is, it is so core to, to um, Jesus' thinking that we need to be merciful just like he's merciful. Uh, pure in heart. All right, I'll finish on. I'm skipping one. Blessed, uh, verse 9. Uh, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So in the same kind of way, there's kind of two ways we can look at this. Is that we are called sons of God, uh, sons and daughters, that means, um, because we are made... Um, He makes peace with us through him dying on the cross. It's similar to one I just said before. He, he makes peace with us by dying on the cross and in a way we want to actually be peacemakers in two kind of different ways. We want to be people that share this peace with other people. We want to kind of go, hey, I, I, I know this incredible peace that I have in God that I don't have this huge sinful weight between me and my Creator anymore and I would love for you to know that. There's a sense that we want to get that out to the world and we want to be peacemakers. We want to be a part of it. Obviously God is the one who brings that peace between us and Him um, and there's a certain sense that we feel that peace in real time. That turmoil starts to fade away as we push into Him. So there's peacemaker in the sense that we are trying to um, bring the gospel to other people. We're trying to bring this peace that we know to other people. But there's a, there's a real practical sense of this as well where we actually do want to bring peace in really practical situations in our world as well where, I don't know, um, wherever we can actually possibly do this. Um, easy one is within friend groups or in the family where there's turmoil, um, turmoil. And, um, and we want to bring peace in those situations. We want to be agents of that. And there's real world issues in, in, in our world that are happening where there's not peace and we should be striving to bring peace in those kinds of situations. Um, so there's a peace sharing of, the Jesus, of Jesus, the peace he gives us and the peace that we are called because Jesus just kept doing that in his life as well. Um, so I'm not going to go through the last one. I think I've taken enough time. But... The big thing that the Beatitudes teach us, and I want to kind of show us this, I hopefully you've seen it, sorry. One of the big things that the Beatitudes 
teach us is that as followers of Jesus, we should be living our lives for Jesus. That sounds really simple. Um, I get it. And you're like, yeah, of course, like that's what it means to be a Christian. But honestly, we need to be, as followers of Jesus, we need to actually follow him, not other, not other things in our lives. And when we do that, we are blessed. Over and over we are blessed in real time and into the future. And what this means is that, uh, what this means is that we're being a people who take being righteous seriously. We don't, take, we don't make it an idol, like I say, um, we don't, but we take it serious. We do actually take the words of Jesus seriously and he will bless us. So seriously that the last, past, last kind of beatitude says that we actually be persecuted for it. That in following Jesus that we actually will be persecuted in different times. It might not be to the same extent that Jesus was or the apostles were or early Christians were or many Christians around the world, but there is a promise that this will actually affect us in, in a negative way. So seriously we need to take this and it means that we are walking in humility. That's what we need to be doing. We need to be walking in humility and gentleness, realising our spiritual poverty of how much we need Jesus. And we need to be merciful just like Jesus is merciful to us. And we need to be peacemakers in the same way that God gives us peace. We want to share that to the world around us. We are truly blessed by God for following him, even though we don't deserve it. And it isn't always easy. I'm not saying that. Sometimes it actually can seem so much like, oh man, why is this? This is actually hard. It actually is, feels like I'm going against certain things here that it could just be so much easier if I just give up. But we are so blessed now to be with Jesus, to have a relationship with him. But ultimately what we need to keep in our mind is that future blessing that we will get. It is going to be like infinitely so much better than what we have now. So when it gets hard, we know that Jesus is blessing us. He is changing us. He is making us more like him so we can be a people that reach other people. But ultimately, we'll have this awesome blessing in the future with Jesus. And I just want to remind us that, like I said at the start, what you don't want to do with these Beatitudes is to kind of just really, really, really try to be poor in spirit. Oh, really, really try to mourn um, and you just kind of scrunch up your face and you're like, oh man, that kind of thing. <laughs> it's not a tick box type of thing. It's not like, ah, cool, I mourned for the day, therefore I'm good with God. It's, it's not really about that. It's, um, it's about when we actually look to Jesus and then we see him and we become a people that mourn our state, as I said, that we become a people that are more merciful, we become a people that are more peacemakers and so on and so forth. We become more righteous. I'm going to invite the uh, worship team to come up and um, I'm just going to pray for us tonight. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for this sermon that you preached almost 2,000 years ago, Lord. And um, we thank you so much for the wisdom that are in it, that's in it, Lord God, and the kind of upside down thinking, the bit a bit counterintuitive to us initially, Lord God. But we so thank you for it, Lord. Help us to look. 
to you, number one. That um, to-do lists and not taking those to-do lists wrong, um, too, too seriously or not serious enough won't be our goal, Lord God, but that you would be our goal, that we'd be a people that are humble, that are meek, that we know uh, our sinful heart sometimes, Lord, that we can come to you in humility, that we can be peacemakers, that we can be merciful, that we can become more and more righteous and take that so seriously, Lord God. Thank you for everything that you do for us. Amen.